Tom Parry. Matthew Boyle, my good friend. How are we? I'm pretty good. Uh, it, it's almost as if I've forgotten what it is like to sit in front of a microphone and talk to you across the internet. Oh, that's it's been sad. A long, long time since we've done this, actually. But uh, we're here now, and we're going to do it. So exactly, I will virtually hold your hand, <laughs> and I'll look at you in the eyes across the deep, expansive abyss of the internet, and say, "Re-establish our connection," and say. It's time my attack. Marvellous, marvellous. So uh, here we are. Back again. Guess who's back? Tell a friend. It's Tom Mattack. Guess who's back? Guess who's back? Guess who's back? I thought back. I had Guess to get back. a little bit of singing in there for you, Matthew. Thank you, but you you delivered it so eloquently. It was like William Shatner singing oh. Common People. Yes. Well, I'm getting my radio voice back. That's what it is. Getting your radio <laughs> voice back. No, it's because you've been doing bloody David Bowie impressions oh, before we came on the podcast. David Bowie. It's more of a uh, Jermaine Clements doing David Bowie for me. Absol- I think. Uh, yeah, absolutely. David Bowie does not sound like that. <laughs> no, he does not. Um, how are you doing, Thomas? Oh, doing well. I cannot complain. Uh, yeah. How about yourself, Matthew? I'm not too bad at all, mate. Uh, I did have a worrying moment when I looked to my left then because I didn't think any of this was recording, but it oh, is. Yeah. So I'm spectacular. Marvellous, marvellous. That's great. So the big question is, in the time we've spent apart and not doing podcasts, have you played any video games? Right, so we've not podcasted since (laughs) mid-March. Yeah, one or two would probably be my answer to that. That's, yeah. Um, I'm glad that you have, because if you hadn't, then this would have been a very short podcast. Yeah, I mean, to be honest with you, I looked at the list of stuff I've even bought in that month and a half, and I was just like, I'm not mentioning my buy- my bought games. No, 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 and I don't think I should either, to be honest. Although there's a certain, there's a couple of things I'll definitely touch on in this episode of things I've purchased. But is there yes. one game in all this time that's really, you know, grabbed you? Well, I did beat one video game, Tom hmm. Murray, in the time since we've last podcasted. And uh, that is uh, Devil May Cry 5. You know what? That's interesting. I think you were sort of saying you were interested in that before I left Denmark, weren't you? I was. Um, you were hinting I, that you might get Devil May Cry 5. I had thought about purchasing it, and then I'd heard it was quite short. And I was like, hmm, should I spend 50 quid on this game? I don't know. And uh-huh. instead, I bought a Sekiro, which I'll talk about as well. Oh, wow. And uh, then... As luck would have it, while Sekiro never appeared in my local library, Devil May Cry was there one day when I went in. I was like, oh, I'll play that. And then I beat it over a weekend. It was pretty satisfying. Oh, fantastic. So you took to it rather well. I've played the demo briefly. Yes. But I think my overall feeling from it was, hey, this is cool. But I felt like I'd played similar games before and I sort of lost interest partway through the demo. Yeah, right then. So... I, I Like I said, I beat the game. I played yeah. through Devil May Cry in its entirety, admittedly on the lowest difficulty, because I was like, well, I've never traditionally been absolutely amazing at holding the combos on this. And mm. when I played Devil May Cry 4 last, 
I'd gotten pretty decent at playing as Dante, but I was never quite as good as comboing with Nero because you have to do a lot of the sword revving things. Right. And so it's all about the timing of the sword revving as when you hit the It was a bit different a... than Yeah, what it's you'd not previously. the muscle memory of just me like being able to smack things and then quickly fire off some bullets and then smack some more things. But doesn't this so... game introduce a new uh, mechanic in that some sort of special arm? Yes, it that's does. Interchangeable. So the start of the story, spoilers for those of you who want to play the first 15 minutes of Dead Mike, right? Uh, Nero gets his arm lopped off by a demon because his arm contains uh, something that I will not reveal, actually, because that's later in the story. He gets his arm lopped off, and he has a robot arm instead, uh, made from the the granddaughter of the woman who made Dante's original guns, Ebony and Ivory. And so it's a pretty cool piece of tech. Yeah. And... One of the things behind it is you can kind of do a scorpion get over here with it. You can pull people yep. towards you in the middle of combat, I've which is pretty that. satisfying. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and if you use the Devil Breaker, you've also got like special effects for it on the, I think it's the R1 button. It's been a while since I've played it, so apologies. Uh, and they would, for example, one of them just like turns into a big raging like fire fist and you smack someone or someone turns into a shield. And depending on what you're doing with those R1 combos, you can get a lot of really cool stuff off. However, the thing is, if you get hit while you're executing the R1, the fist breaks, then you need to find another one. Hmm. So it's kind of like a risk-reward mechanic as part of your combos. But then if you get hit anyway, your combos are going to go back down. So it's like, well, part of this game is all about being evasive enough in combat and not getting hit anyway. So it it gels quite well. Hmm. That being said, I was I was playing it mainly for the story. I thought it was it was pretty cool. I won't get too into it just in case people want to play it because it's not a very long game. Uh, when when you game, say it's not very long, how long? I would say around the seven hour mark, maybe eight. Hmm. It is a relatively doable game. In Concise game. Yes, uh, it doesn't mess around. That sounds uh, good there to are, me. There is reason to replay it though. There are several missions where you play as multiple characters and you have the option of playing as Dante, Nero, or the new character who's just named V. Um, and V doesn't and stand v, for anything like Victor it, or Valerie. It would, Tom Parry, but I'm not going to say what it does because oh. that would be a reveal. Okay. Um, if you've played the Devil May Cry games and think the same way I oh, do, okay, you yeah. will probably be able to figure out who that is. Yeah, I've, I've, um, I've just worked it out, I think. Sorry, that's a massive. That is a bit of a spoiler. I apologise, but at the same time, it's pretty bloody obvious. Yeah. So, um, V actually has a very weird thing where he doesn't fight himself. Uh, so instead of like pressing square for sword and a triangle for guns, what he actually does is he has a bird and like a panther, and so essentially you mash those buttons and you have two little animals like shadow demon animals attacking for you wow that's in, and, that sort of reminds me of the darkness where you have those two creatures or do you yes, play the darkness does. yeah yes do you have little creatures that come out and attack for you yeah you do but they are you more like your guns whereas ah. you are control you aren't controlling their movements you're just controlling their attack combos okay and so Nero is wandering around and you, he's so fragile he's got not a lot of health so if yeah. he gets hit it really takes a massive chunk off your life bar. So essentially, you 
your goal is to wander around with him and not get hit. And there's also this very peculiar mechanic where uh, essentially to to boost his devil gauge equivalent, he picks out a book of poetry. Okay. <laughs> and so you're walking around holding down L1 to fill your devil gauge so these creatures can do these insane combos. And he's just reading from a book of poems as you're <laughs> avoiding enemies. I like the sound of this game. It feels like it's got a sense of humour. It is definitely more aware of itself than I think. Like, Devil May Cry 4 had some elements of, like, that crazy scene where Dante's on a motorcycle throwing a, a rose into a gun and stuff. It, it dials up that a lot in quite a fun way I in did... that it's just a purely... Mm. It is a very B-movie aesthetic yeah. that I really enjoyed. I read an article about it of someone who used to work at um, Grasshopper, I think, and it worked oh, in yeah, it's, the Damned. Uh... Someone on Kotaku, yeah. a writer. I think. Oh, gosh. I've forgotten his name. It's not Tim Terry. Um, but, uh, yeah, I know it was he... interesting that he was making comparisons between Devil May Cry 5 and some of the work that he did, at well, at Grasshopper. And the kind of yes. mentality behind the game design and the ideas. Yes. Uh, I, I did not read that article because I was afraid that it would have some spoilers in okay. it. But, I mean, it would make sense, right? I mean, a lot of the, the lineage of... Uh, Shadows of the Damned originally came from Devil May Cry, did it not? Isn't there oh, someone I involved? I don't in know. The... I don't know if there being any particular connection between the two, but I mean the original Devil May Cry, not this one necessarily. Okay. Isn't isn't the guy who made Resident Evil also the guy who made Devil May Cry? Oh, Shinji Mikami. Yes, that's isn't, right. I yeah. think Shinji Mikami made Devil May Cry. Did he not? Yes. Devil May Cry, and he worked with Su- Suda Fifty One on Shadows of the Damned. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. We've made the connection. There we go. Yeah, so that's why I, I would imagine is that I'm not sure if Shinji Mikami, Shinji Mikami was involved in the Devil May Cry 5 or not, but I would imagine that they, some of that influenced the others. So. Absolutely, yeah. Nice, so, we made, so we've mentioned Shadows of the Damned already. We're doing good for the first podcast in a while. Exactly. <laughs> we've brought the, the game of the last generation to the forefront once again. If you haven't played Shadows of the Damned and you listen to this podcast, do check it out. Especially because it costs next to nothing if you're looking for a second-hand copy of it. I bought a factory sealed one like a year ago for like nine kroner in a GameStop clear out. Which yeah. is just like, I was like, okay, I'll have a factory sealed one of this for when people realise this is an amazing game. Speaking of uh, game clear outs, you know in the UK at the moment, the game are getting rid of all their Wii U stock. Oh, really? Five pounds, That's interesting everything. news. Everything, Super Mario Maker, Splatoon, even the, the big titles. Yeah, they're all five pounds. Yeah, are they? Are they also five pound online? Ah, uh, that I don't know. I haven't checked that, but uh, definitely in store. There is nothing on their website for the Wii U anymore. Just a Wii U white console, <laughs> well, uh, which isn't in stock. Yeah, uh, this was game in Southport, and they didn't have many. They had about four Wii U games, I think. Just what weather nah, was left. They're... Their online offering is not as generous, is all I will say. Well, that's, that's usually are... the case, isn't it? You get the cheapest deals in store. In store, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I just put these things to the back of a warehouse. Yeah. <laughs> I got something very cheap from game recently, and that's the uh, Retron HD, the NES clone console. Yeah, another one. Yeah, so I've already previously got the uh, Super Retron HD, and now I've got the... Uh, NES equivalent. And yeah, it's good. You know, I'd heard some uh, mixed things about it that it didn't emulate perfectly, and there are a few issues here and there, but uh, 
yeah, they're easy enough to look over. For me, I've only noticed differences in colour and a couple of sound effects not kicking in when they probably should have. On yeah. on Gradius, but on most of the games, just the colour seems a bit different. That's all. Okay. But still sharp, still definitely playable. And uh, for only 20 quid, I can recommend that. <laughs> hey, man, £20 is not a number to knock, right? HD, like NES, that. yeah. Pretty cool. Saying that, though, prices of original NESs have seemed to drop rapidly over the last couple of months. Oh, I've not even noticed. I've not been uh, looking for one, to be honest. No, me neither. I just saw... A, I was sent uh, by a Danish retailer, Boz, that I've mentioned in the past. I remember when I bought my NES from them way, way back when, when we first moved to Denmark. It was in the in the 60 quid region, something like that, and now they're selling them for about 30. So... Mm. Okay, so maybe, maybe that's died down now. There was a yeah. probably a huge interest, and then with the NES Classic. I also know. think it's probably something to do with the fact that I, 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 I'm starting to see NES collecting itself slowly trail off. Yeah, people will get more into other consoles, perhaps. I know the Mega Drive think... making a bit of a comeback at the minute. I don't know if that's I affecting just... uh, price of pre-owned games, but there's certainly a lot of focus on mega drive yes there is i mean to be honest with you, i think that's a lot to do with the fact that mega drive was very cheap compared to where nes and super nintendo was going mm. and i mean obviously the mega drive's got some very good games as well so it makes sense but yeah prices on mega drive games have started rising because I've, I've been looking at having a clear up to some of mine finally and separation anxiety is now at the silly point where i'm like okay i'm gonna sell my copies of this yeah just go for it i mean We've got this uh, mini Meg Drive coming uh, before the end of the year, and already Hyperkin, who did these uh, Retron consoles, have released their Retron Mega Retron HD. Yeah, which is apparently again a, a good clone system if you if you want something in the, in the cheaper bracket. Of course, if you want something a little bit more expensive than the analog uh, SG, whatever it's called, <laughs> it's mm-hmm. available for about one hundred and eighty dollars, I think. Yeah, but uh, that ain't happening. I've got a Mega Drive that works perfectly fine as it is. So. Yeah, I haven't invested in that. And if I do invest in any of the clone consoles, I go for the cheaper ones because they seem to do the job for what I want, to be able to play them in a sharp way on a HD television. Exactly. I, I You're not one of these people that's obsessively looking at frames, but at I, the same I'm time... I'm certainly not. And I'm not looking at those little things that a lot of people, when they review these consoles, are commenting on. Yeah. If I I can play the game, you know, successfully and not be irritated by anything that's uh, hampering my experience, then I'm I'm more than happy with it. That's fair. Yeah. Have you been playing anything, Thomas, other than NES games? Did you play any of these Wii U games that you bought that didn't mention? (laughs) Well, I didn't actually buy any Wii U games. You didn't get any of the £5 ones? No, because I already had quite a complete Wii U library. Uh, there was nothing that so I there was saw. Nothing there that tempted you, like Just Dance 2018? Or uh, no, Bong. no. I say that the, the, the pickings were very slim. So, uh, no, I haven't bought a Wii U game in a very long time. Uh, what have I been focusing on mainly, uh, you might ask? Well, it's probably the 32X, because I have one now, Matthew, which you might I, already I'm... know. I'm well aware, yes, you did tell me. So I'll tell you a little bit of a story about the 32X. This is this is a fun fun story time regarding 32X. So it isn't Tom. Before I left Denmark, we were having a conversation about me getting a 32X. I've seen this bundle deal on eBay for about 300 pounds. You know, a lot of money, and we can all agree on that. 
the bundle came with quite a few games. It was a region switch, uh, 32X as well, which is a nice thing to have, especially considering... So copies of the game that I was looking for, Knuckles Chaotix, which I've now found, uh, for the American NTSC copies of the game are re relatively cheap compared to that of PAL copies. So the How much are American copies, Tom Parry? £45 my copy cost me. For a boxed one? No. Okay. It's not boxed. Still. Uh, but I was putting my limit at 50 on getting that cartridge. Yeah. So that meant that I went for the US copy. I ended up with a PAL 32X. I didn't get that right. £300 bundle deal. I got some. I got a 32X for £145, I think. Oh. In the end. Yep. It hurts my soul. So that, that's... Uh, that's how much it costs to get a 32X. The going rate, right. uh, someone like CEX on the high street now is 150 I think. So let me get this straight. You've paid about 200 quid and you can't even play the game you wanted to play. <laughs> I thought this was a fun story, Tom Barry. It's a fun story. I have been playing one game on it. I, I bought Star Wars Arcade for the 32X. Which I hear is good and relatively cheap. Yes, so it is. Fair. You can get it for twenty between twenty and thirty pounds. It's uh... man, is it that much now? Well, yes, yeah. The cheaper end is about twenty. Oh my God, mine cost me. I remember when that game was like three quid. Yeah, uh, Doom is about twenty for a loose copy. Virtual Racing Deluxe is about fifteen. Uh, Virtual Fighter goes for quite a bit, thirty maybe for a, even a loose copy. Okay. So 32X collecting is relatively expensive. I'd say Virtua Racing is probably the cheapest 32X game you're going to find out and about. That must really suck to be you as well, because I know uh, that the the best fighting game for the 32X, Primal Rage, is actually on the higher end. Oh, that's like, ridiculous. I will never uh, be getting that game. Because I have a limit of how quid. much I'll spend on any one game. So, uh... I remember you quibbled about spending 60 quid on a copy of Conker's Bad Fur Day and now you've paid £45 for a cartridge you can't use. Well, I'll continue my story, shall I? Okay, carry on. <laughs> I'm just so, letting the reader or listener know where we are in this suspenseful tale. The first 32X I bought was actually £149. This was first. Faulty, okay. faulty on arrival, unfortunately, and despite my best efforts to uh, fix this 32X by looking online and finding out what are the common problems, the white ribbon cables uh, inside that you can disconnect and reconnect, uh, usually they can come loose. I noticed these particular ones were very loose, uh, so even with me plugging them back in, out and in again, uh, it didn't fix the problem. I cleaned all the contacts, still didn't fix the problem, so I had to asked the seller for a refund, sent it back, e refund was issued, uh, they sent me a picture saying, look, it works, we got our people here to fix it, it was the ribbon cables, and I'm thinking, well, already, anyway, I don't know what yeah. they did to it, I don't know if they were being completely honest or, or not, but yeah. anyway, so that left me without a 32X. Then I won another one uh, for... Um, is there, are there any winners in 32x auctions <laughs> this was a yeah this was an auction the other one with a bike now so that was 145 i think i said didn't I? um and that didn't come with the mega drive to 32x cable the converter cable it just came with the one that connected to the mega drive 2 right now i wanted to get to my original mega drive because that original mega drive is region free as my okay. understanding was, 
you put a 32x on top it reads the mega drives um signal as the proprietary signal so i thought when i put knuckles gothics in the top being an ntsc car but unfortunately the 32x cancels out the mega drive <laughs> signal so the 32x also has to be running in the same um out- output okay Right. So that meant I had to get my 32X modified. Right. So right now, my 32X is off with somebody who's installing an automatic region switch, which will switch to... How much to is a... this costing, Tom Parry? This has cost £25. Okay. That's not as bad as I was hoping, but that puts the cost of you playing <laughs> Knuckles Chaotix at a what was that 220 pounds if my math isn't off that's not think about pounds let's not think about that too much Matthew. okay cool that's that's more than i paid for shanty so that makes me feel better uh the good thing is i've got the spacer not all 32x's come with a plastic spacer to lay oh thank plug god it into the mega drive 2 and mega drive 1 uh but yeah i didn't have the uh converter cable right going back a little bit right so in order Obviously, the price is going to go up a little bit more now. I had to get... How much did you pay for the cable, Tom? I had to get a converter cable. Now, you can get a converter cable that will work, but without sound. Because the Mega Drive, if you want an RGB SCAR off the Mega Drive, you need to get a specially made cable that plugs into the front, <laughs> into the uh, you know, into the socket, the audio socket at the front. So I had to order... Okay. Alternatively, you could just plug in a lead into the front and then plug that into the TV speakers, you know. But right, this is a little bit more of a cleaner way of doing it. I had to buy a cable from Poland that uh, cost me about ten pounds, I'd say. Okay, right then. I'm actually I'm going to rephrase these questions. So that's an extra ten pounds. That's two hundred and twenty-five pounds. <laughs> How much was the shipping on these individual items, like the cable and sending no, I, your 32X I'm, I'm to get I'm including shipping, other than the shipping to the uh, guy to modify it. That did cost me £8 because I sent it special delivery. Okay. Because the woman at the post office convinced me because it was worth over 50 quid that Which I should send special it delivery special just delivery. Just in case it gets lost. <laughs> I mean, in all fairness, it's it's more expensive than eight pounds for me to send anything to the UK, so I think that's fair. But that's fuck. Okay, it's, it's, so that's it's quite a lot. But uh, I have been two hundred and thirty quid. I have been playing uh, Star Wars arcade, which is an extra twenty pound. The thing is, when it all comes down to it, I should have just bought <laughs> that one for three hundred quid with all the extra games. You probably I? should have, because. <laughs> In the, in this whole process, I've had to. I bought one and sent one back, and then bought another one and sent that off again to someone else to modify it. It's uh, yeah, it's it's a bit of a story. So I wanted to share that with you and our, our listeners of the podcast. Tom Parry's quest for a thirty-two X. What an outstanding children's book that would be. <laughs> so we're still not sorted i've still got to receive this back off the guys modifying it but it seems like a legit service 100 uh, percent feedback quite a few um modifications he seems to have done so well i hope that chaotix cart works <laughs> yeah good one yeah christ on a bike tom parry that sounds like an absolute mission yeah 
Also, you've got to make sure to play a Mega Drive in NTSC that your SCART lead is outputting RGB because if it doesn't, it won't be in colour. But I think mine's okay. Fingers okay, crossed. good. Otherwise, I guess you're going to have to get another cable from Poland. I, I don't know. I, honestly, well, well, I'll be very happy when that game is actually working. It makes it all the more exciting knowing that I've been through this, all this in order to play Knuckles Chaotix. Have you ever played it? Yes, I've played it on emulator. Of course I have. Otherwise, I wouldn't have. How much do you pay for that, Tom? Well, the emulate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nothing. Interesting. Hmm. Do you think maybe you should have just continued to play it on emulator? Maybe. Given what I'm you crazy, know now? but I, t- I tell you what, to actually just have a 32x is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, That's I've, fair. I've never had one before. It looks pretty great in a Mega Drive and. I, I think I took a photo for Blast Protest recently, just showcasing how cool uh, Mega Drive Two this is looks with a 32x on top. Sega it does really look had it, cool. Sega had it down. You know, you'd not see consoles that look like sports bikes anymore. But that that kind of reminds me some of the shapes of like a, a sports bike. Okay, and you're not you're not referring to like a rally or a BMX. You're talking about a sports motorcycle. Yeah, right? yeah. That, that's right, okay, sorry, just, yeah, I should have first. Just making that clear for people back home who were just like, why is he talking about rallies? No, no, it, it, it looks like a, a really nice black, mean motorcycle. So you're telling me it's more of a Tour de Force than a Tour de France, is <laughs> what you're saying? Very nice. Good. You've not lost any of your uh, sharpness, Matthew. In My time. witticism <laughs> is no... <laughs> But I feel like I've rambled enough. Is there anything you want to talk about? I'm going to get my breath Christ. back and uh, just get over this. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah, I, like I said, I played a bit of Sekiro. Um, I don't want to talk about it this week, though, because I want to play a bit more of it before I, I pass judgment on my shadows dying twice, because my shadows have died a lot. Hmm. So No, I have heard say... that it is as difficult as everyone thought it would probably be. Yeah, and to be honest with you, I'm not surprised by that, and I'm not put off by it either, because every time I play it, I feel I'm getting a bit better, and it isn't so soulsy as I was perhaps expecting it to be, which is actually a bit of a blessing, because mm. there's definitely more of the world to traverse than, say, a Dark Souls game, or at least to us, what it feels and like. Quite and... a different-looking game, I'd imagine, than yes, when compared to Dark Souls. Absolutely. Um... Yeah, it's really hard. I, the one thing I've actually noticed, though, is I find it very tricky to memorise attack patterns for some reason in 3D mm. characters rather than 2D characters. Oh, yeah, I can I guess just, that. I guess it's just the limitations of the old systems and, like, okay, their tells are very obvious compared to people who feel like they're organically swinging a sword at you. Mm. Which I know they're not. Obviously, they're doing, like, okay, they swing their sword three times and then they go for a strike, in which case you should dodge and lunge. But it, it, it never really reads that way because it's so realistic. It's very mm. strange, like, my brain not connecting the patterns in the same way as, say, a Mega Man villain. But I'm sure. getting there slowly. It's fun. It's really enjoyable. Well, I'm glad you're so. enjoying it because I think a few people were excited about it. They played it, then they didn't like how difficult it was. But should they not have expected it to be difficult? Yes, they should have, uh, from what I understand. Uh, to be honest with you, I haven't even fought one of the first bosses yet. I've just mm. been killing people and slowly getting there. I've killed a few mini-bosses, but I haven't fought a big, bad, like, giant screen-sized monster or whatever, anything yet. So yeah. let's see how I feel after I do that. I like to keep my games a little bit more straightforward and pick up and play, personally. That's fair. 
Um, no, that's fair. I've been enjoying the Crew Two. Now the Crew Two is a bit of a beautiful mess of a game. Uh, the actual core driving in the game is really fun. It's some of the most fun uh, racing I've I've played in it in recent years. Right. Um, I'm less into the boats and the planes because at the beginning mm-hmm. you you can play any of those vehicles. Later on, it it, it unlocks more like rally cars and dirt bikes and uh, motorbikes. And there's a lot of variety in there. You have to commend Ubisoft for actually going the going all the way with this game and putting so much content into it. Um, and yeah. I like the racing, the car racing the most, but the rest of the stuff is very well done, I have to admit. It's the way the game's built and designed which is confusing. Right. don't know how much you've read about The Crew 2. I just heard that it wasn't very good. That was pretty much the, the brushing generalisation I made of The Crew 2. It is good. That, that, that's the thing. It's just there's so much in the way of you actually enjoying the gameplay that maybe that put people off the game um you're kind of restricted in what you can do you have to yeah. kind of do some of the other events before you can continue with the street racing if that's what you enjoy so you have to play a bit right. of the other modes uh also kind of working out uh, how to access the races takes a little bit of work there's so many layers on top of layers that aren't necessary for example, there's a part of the game where you can get out of your car and photograph animals. Right. And why you'd want to do this, I don't know, but it's in the game. And they kind of spend a lot of time introducing all this stuff to you when I was just kind of feeling like, I just want to do some races. Show me some races. But actually so getting... is The Crew 2 actually the sequel to Pokemon Snap we've already waited for? <laughs> is that what you're saying? I can't tell you because I've never spent uh, much time trying to photograph any of the game's animals because it's not really, to me, a free-roaming game. Because where you're on the main map driving around, I couldn't access the races like that. I had to jump out to the overall map and just you know, select the races that way. So very cumbersome uh, menu menu system and to get to the content is not easy and i can imagine many people being put off as i was at first with playing the game because right. the way it's uh, been designed okay but so uh, give it a miss then if you i don't know i'd say give it a go if you get cheap enough it's just i mean i imagine it's pretty cheap yeah just be prepared to have a little bit of a stum- stumbling period at the beginning where you're getting used to how the game sort of uh because there's even bits where you've got several disciplines and you've got several different camps in the game and you have right. to go to these camps to unlock the different disciplines. But when you go to them, for some reason, it shifts you into a first-person mode and you're wandering around the camp talking to people. Okay. You can't really talk to many people, so it all seems pointless. I noticed this a lot Sounds a bit games. like Anthem, actually. <laughs> yeah, I, I noticed this. It seems to be a trend in games, even in fighting games. You'll have like a, a lobby area. Where you can walk yeah. around to access the different areas of the game. It's in Dragon Ball Fighter Z. It's in Blaz Blue Cross Tag Battle. Those games are yes. very similar. Um, but then you can just press a button and jump into a menu. Yes. And select it that way. This idea of wandering around, having this kind of interactive menu idea, I, I really don't like. And I wish games would stop doing it. Oh, I I like the idea of lobbies. It reminds me of Fantasy Star Online. 
I mean, for me, lobbies <sighs> make sense if you're waiting to connect to a match. So that's fine. I mean, the crew too. The is so simple, though, and there's not a fancy star. At least you had the atmosphere of being on the base, and it wasn't all condensed into one small area. You kind of move from different areas of the the base. Yes, and you could ask each other wonderful sentences with the pre-constructed sentence thing, which is a joy. Yeah. That, Do that, you that... enjoy bike racing, Tom Parry? That's what I want to know. The, the bike racing, yeah. <laughs> no, did you, no, did you not remember that in PSO? Did you not play any Fantasy Star Online? Yes, I, I played. I didn't play any of it online, though. <laughs> oh, that's the thing. See, when you played it online, when you were in the lobbies, uh, people would just sit around in their big, like virtual versions of those inflatable chairs that were quite popular in the early 2000s. I've never and seen would... that in Fancy Star. Yeah, that's the thing. Uh, that when you're in the online lobbies, you could sit around in these giant things and it was on like you were on a spaceship and you could um I at least I think it was Fancy. I'm 90% sure it's his Fancy Star I'm describing. And you had sentences that were like a sentence engine. If you didn't have a keyboard, so you could communicate yeah. with people. It was quite and limited, would... though, was it not? Yes, and you would just ask people like Phoenix, which was one of my usernames. Phoenix, do you enjoy bicycle racing? Because it would be like name of person. You would click on the person. You would construct the sentence, and it would just be mm. things like, "Do you like? Do you dislike?" And then they would just be like sports, movies, music, and it's just like. You just go into them and people would just ask you, like, do you enjoy badminton? Just because people were having fun with these ridiculous sentence constructions you could do. I like that. Oh, that's a fun time. Yeah, that's fun. That's a part um, of that game that emulation will never be able to replicate. No, unless we get another online fantasy star game, that would be great. Well, in the West, I mean, they have least, one in Japan. In yeah, Japan, I was gonna yeah say. they can enjoy it, but... Yeah. I liked Fantasy Star Universe, but there we go. I'm probably the only one. For the Xbox 360? Oh, yes, I played quite a bit of that game. Oh, interesting. That was a pay-to-play game, was it not? It was, and it was quite expensive, and one oh. that I forgot to cancel and paid for for about six months after the fact. True story. Wow. So I actually forgot to cancel my Nintendo online, but I'm not sure if uh, it had reused itself or not, because can you remember when I activated it? I was at yours, uh, living at yours at the time. Yes. February? It was while Tetris 99 came out. It was right after that, yeah. So it was so actually due for renewal in May, so I don't think I've it's renewed itself. They did three months, so actually, yeah. I just cancelled it the other day. Okay. So maybe maybe I was saved there, but uh, I'm glad I've got it at the moment. There's that Mario uh, Tennis Aces free to play this weekend. Yes. And also, if you haven't got the Nintendo Online, uh, you'll get uh, seven days free. Oh, okay. Nintendo send you a code that you can redeem to get seven days free, so you can actually play the online demo of Mario Tennis Aces. I might give that a go. I have not done my redeeming of the Nintendo Online, so yeah, I I, I would uh, I would suggest I haven't got a chance to play it yet, but uh, I'm looking forward to giving it a quick go before I go away uh, this tomorrow for a bit. Fair enough. Hmm. So yeah, I mean I've played so much uh, since we last uh, podcast that it's difficult for me to remember. <laughs> what we that's fair actually. 
played, but I've picked up a few games here and there in various systems. I've been enjoying V Rally 3 on the GameCube. I think it's a really good rally game. Uh, yeah. Played a bit of that. I got a Dharma recently, which is. Have you ever played that for the GameCube? No, I haven't. I remember you ordered it and you thought oh, you got lost in the forest, so I'm glad yes, to see it. Well, arrived. eventually I got it. But uh, that game, there's a lot going on any one time, and it's a little confusing. Talking it's, into a uh, microphone, using a ball to smash down things, right? Yeah, so you give your troops orders because you're commanding, it's feudal Japan, you're commanding an army fighting another army. You also have this thing called the Adama, which is the ball. And yeah. uh, there's two flippers at the bottom of the screen. You your troops in the middle. And you kind of have to move your troops out of the way as you flip the ball past them into the enemies. Right. So you'll go like march left, march right. But you have to keep remembering to push your troops forward. So you have to say, uh, push forward, I think. And uh, at the same time as playing a pinball game. And then it will throw in other objectives to you. Like f- get the ladder. And I think you have to hit the Adama into a ladder that's on screen to get the ladder to climb over the wall. All the time you're having to, yeah, multitask. That sounds pretty nuts. It's nuts, yeah. And I don't know if I'm ever going to get used to playing it because it's very, very uh, difficult. Yeah. At this point, I probably wouldn't recommend it but i appreciate its uh, uh eccentricities eccentricities <laughs> yes i suppose it's a very different you'd probably never play anything quite like adama and yeah okay i wonder why they never made another one yeah um so gamecube fans if you write weird games like dosh in the giant then maybe <laughs> I do try. like Dashi and the Giant, though. That's the thing that's got me going, hmm, pinball game where I talk to things. Interesting. I, I, I think I think you'd find it uh, quite interesting, but I don't know if it would infuriate you as much as it infuriates me. So I don't know. Maybe I'd have to give it a go. Hmm. Yeah. Give it a go sometime if you can. Yeah. Um, for me, I don't know. I mean, I fell down a Mahjong hole oh, you did that. playing Mahjong. Congrats on Mahjong. that episode, by the way. You really you. Uh, went all out in uh, describing how to play the game. <laughs> well, I, f- I felt it would be a bit of a cop-out not to, and that was the thing. And so I was just like, okay, I need to at least give some basics of how Mahjong is played, otherwise people will just look at this and go... Because a lot of the reviews I saw online with it were like, oh, well, you, you press A to do this and you do this, and then you win Mahjong hands. I'm like, yeah, but how do you wing Mahjong hands? Like No mm. one takes the time to explain how to play Mahjong before well, they even critique the game. Yeah, it's easy to dismiss those games without actually knowing what's going on. And the fact that you went, you know, to the extent of explaining the game... I think, I was... think Mahjong's quite fun. I've been, I have a game on my phone that I'm going to have to look up the name of because it just says Mahjong under it. Hmm. But a nice review. So you've been playing a bit of Mahjong. Have you got a Have you got a physical set? I do not have a physical set because the physical game of Mahjong is there's a lot more to it. Um, in oh, than terms... these virtual versions of it. Yeah, well, there's lots of things to do with how you deal the tiles. Uh, you usually play it with four people, and there's also a lot of there's a lot to do with how you deal is the okay. thing for me that seems like it's a very hard thing to learn or at least unless you and if you're a person who doesn't know it and you're playing with someone who's experienced i'm sure it'll be fine yeah. we have a set gathering dust in a cupboard really yeah <laughs> why do you have a mahjong set it's not mine <laughs> ah okay yeah 
Yeah, I know I would like to play the physical game with people who actually know what they're talking about because then maybe I'd learn the rules properly. Because that's kind of the, the blessing and the curse of playing digitally is I don't necessarily have to know the rules because the game knows them. I just I have to like try when you and make play, sense um, of what I know. Pokemon cards on the uh, app through the computer. Yeah. It does a lot of stuff for you. Yes. Yeah. But I would say, honestly, like if you like card games, check Mahjong out because it is essentially a card game. Mm. Uh, I mean, there's the solitaire weird matchy Mahjong as well that I know from computers. Like It used to be a Microsoft Mahjong mm. that was just matching tiles. And a lot of that, actually, the only version of Mahjong that I've actually been able to see on at least this current generation of consoles, I managed to get some stuff on the PS3, and I just downloaded a load of ROMs of Super Famicom and Saturn games, is what I was mainly playing. The only real Mahjong game that's currently available in the West for the current generation is hot gimmick mahjong, which is essentially like a, a a weirdly slightly pervy arcade mahjong game for the Switch. Okay, there's a lot of stuff on the Switch nowadays, isn't there? <laughs> it pretty much uh, it's a bit of a, a dumping ground, isn't it? Yeah, it has been a dumping ground for this stuff on the Switch marketplace. So it's just I don't know. There's lots of things like that on there, but I, I kind of wish there were more Mahjong games, to be honest with you, because I, I would like more. Uh, the version I've been playing on my phone, I do recommend it in the biographic I did of it. And that is called... Oh, I'm so terrible with the name of this, because like I said, it just says Mahjong on my phone, so I actually remember... I don't remember the name of the game. So I'm going to quickly search, because if I type the word Mahjong into my phone, it will come up. It's called Chem Ho- Chem Mono. Mahjong, so Kimono Mahjong. K-E-M-O-N-O Mahjong. Uh, I I can't remember. It's a very cheap, very affordable phone game, as you would expect. And it's not free, Matthew. I don't think it is, no, but to be honest with you, I kind of expect it not being free, because it's got a very good tutorial, which even a lot of the Saturn games I downloaded, the games I could find that were fan translated for the Famicom, none of them have tutorials. They all expect you to know Mahjong. Okay. So There's a few on the Saturn, though, you say? There's a ton of Mahjong games on the Saturn. Most of them are in English, though, unfortunately. Okay. I was just playing to see, okay, how does Yakuman stack up against more modern f- games? Hmm. And, yeah, it seems to do the job. It's all I will say. It's a, it's a pretty straightforward game, so... Cool. So you're one of the few people probably to cover that uh, original. Uh, I think so. Title. Yeah, I think so. Um, well, now's your chance to plug it and tell people to check out the video. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I think I to be honest, I imagine a lot of the the listenership of this podcast does watch biographic. But if not, go check out uh, YouTube channel Game Boil and uh, have a look at the Yakuman review for the Game Boy. Fantastic. Uh, other than that. I, I've not really been playing a lot, I don't think. I've bought a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. A lot of Game Boy and Game Boy Color games, which I've had a dabble at in me picking them up and then going, okay, is this any good good enough for a future biographic? I have also been playing games uh, because the, the month of May is around the corner and I have some unfinished business for biographic from last year. So May? I have been playing what was May? Some, I don't know, but you should look forward to it. Okay. Well, I can talk about a Game Boy game. Briefly. Oh, really? Oh, uh, Gex. Got... Gex. 
Yeah. Deep Cover Gecko, but in the US it's called Deep Pocket Gecko. Yes. And uh, it's interesting. <laughs> it's not as good as uh, the other 2D Gex game I've played, the original Gex. And it doesn't give me the best first impressions because have you played that game? I have it, but I have not played right. it because I did not really enjoy the original Game Boy Color version of Gex, and so I just threw this. The one title the screens last forever, so it lingers on all the copyright information for a weirdly long time. And you think, oh, that's right. odd, and then it, it jumps to the uh, publisher. Again, it hangs on a screen and it's unskippable. And it's like, okay, so what else we got? Then we've got the developer. Okay, that hangs there again. And then we have, uh, I think we have Crystal Dynamics pop up. And then, the yeah. anyway, there's a lot of rubbish at the start, which is unskippable and stays, static images stay on the screen for far too long. And I've never experienced a game which forces you to wait that long to actually play it, other than maybe some ZX Spectrum games. That sounds like a nightmare. Okay. Uh, when you get into the game, it's one of those stupid overworlds. Going back to my sort of problem I've got with these lobby things, to access the first level, you have to negotiate this uh, weird overworld. It's the same problem they had in Sonic Advance 3, they introduced an overworld, and I just think that's unnecessary. I think I think that's just par for the course of that generation of games, though. I it think was trying to was... be like the big console versions, which have all the different levels laid out in an area. Yeah. Uh, but it's um, once you get into the first level, you'll find that it, first of all, it looks a bit crappy. Um, yeah, looks a bit bland. Gex animates rather well, and he does have costume changes and such. But I've never seen a game with an over reliance on the uh, tail bounce move. Uh, you know, like a like a higher jump, like um, a backflip, yeah. or that's in Banjo Kazooie or or Mario, or whatever. You usually use that move to get to certain platforms that you can't get to by jumping normally. In Gex, right. the cover gecko, you're you using use that time. for practically every jump. <laughs> and okay. you, you start to just get a bad feeling that this game isn't designed very well. Okay, that, and yeah, so, that would add... Why wouldn't they just make that the regular jump then? Yeah, yeah you use it so much, it's pointless nearly using your regular jump. So okay. uh, I have to say, first impressions of this game, not very good. Don't bother. Right. But I'm a okay. fan of the character. So I decided to check it out. And I have fond memories of playing Gex 3D and Gex 3 and, yeah. Well, it was Gex then, 64 in my case. Gex 64. Yeah. Wow. I haven't thought about Gex 64 in a long, long time. I played Gex on the PS1, That's the I same. Think. Yeah. Gex 3D is the same as Gex 64, although it doesn't have as many voice samples in it. No. I've been no. reading a, a up on Gex, trying to find a little bit more history of the character. Right now, he's actually in a position where, when um, Square Enix, did they, did they take over Crystal Dynamics? They did indeed, yes. Yeah. Well, they uh, Gex is part of something they run out. It's got a name where developers can come to Square Enix and pitch new games oh, for these yeah. franchises. So Gex is in a position now where a developer could come to Square Enix and pitch a new game and they let them take Gex and do something different with it. But Gex was never as popular as Crash or Spyro, so I don't think they're going to get any remasters of his 3D games or anything. 
I would I'd also like that. say that, like, in that pool, I would imagine there's a wealth of, like, underdeveloped RPG IP that people would go, cool, I'll make a new uh, Illusion of Gaia game. Yeah, maybe. Dex game. Yeah, they, I would at least hope. It'd be interesting exactly what they've got there that people can come and try and pitch for, but Gex, I'd like to see it remade because I think it's one of those games that now on the PS1 at least and the N64, it does look a little bit rough around the edges and it well, could I mean, benefit you know, from a facelift. Whereas, you know, Spyro looked pretty good on the PS1. It was one of the best looking PS1 games. Yeah. So, and then that got a remake. Gex needs a remake, in my opinion. Does it though? Well, like, the, the, if you're saying the original, well. if you're saying the original source material is not very good, then does it need? Oh, but a it remake? is good. It's just it looks a bit ropey now. Okay, fair enough. But it is pretty good for a. Th- it was actually using the Tomb Raider engine, believe it or not, Gex 3D. Really? Yeah. Well, that I didn't know. It was That's made using that. And Gex has a very dark backstory. Do you know this about the character? No, I don't. That his father worked for NASA and died in a rocket experiment. He, he suffered uh, from depression and spent all his days sitting in front of the TV. When his, Then his mother sold the TV and Gex moved out right. and didn't have a home for a while, a real home, so he's moving between... They go into this, this amount of detail. Okay. <laughs> character. And then one of his wealthy relatives dies and leaves him a load of money. So he buys a mansion in Hawaii, which is where he's originally from, apparently. Yeah. And then he buys the biggest TV he can. One day he's watching TV. That's all he does because he's so depressed. Yeah. And then um, a robotic fly appears. And Gex eats it, thinking it's a regular fly. That works as some sort of transmitter to transfer Gex into the media dimension where he's sucked into the TV by an evil overlord called Rez who wants to use him as a mascot for his new TV channel. Okay. That is a backstory to Gex. If you were ever curious, it's wow. very peculiar that the amount of detail they go into it and the kind of sinister overtones <laughs> in there. Can I read about Gex in any, any Gex like novels? Is I, there I like would... an expanded Gex universe? <laughs> maybe there's some fan fiction, but I don't know if there's any official Gex novels, but it sounds like maybe they were setting up for... Uh, for that. A bigger thing. <laughs> bigger maybe things. a film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, okay. So it's a fascinating sort of lost mascot character now that I think is about time he reappeared and they do something yeah. else with him. Because it agree sounds with like with his backstory they're actually making when a when a game character gets like a movie, they develop the character's backstory and add in some more sort of heavier, more real world elements. Yes. Greater kind of threat or something. And Gex had this from the off, even though he was just a cute little lizard character from a 2D platform game on the 3DO. It's like... (laughs) It's so weird to me that he has that level of backstory, man. Like, why? But, oh well, okay. I guess they they had a lot of time on their hands. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Maybe they had different ideas for Gex in the long run. Maybe. Okay. Yeah, other than your love of Gex and Tom Parry, is there anything else you would like to share on this podcast? I'd like to share, actually. I've been looking for a copy of that Fifth of North Star game, and it's got really expensive. Which one? The PS4 one? Yeah. It's, yeah, uh, I noticed that myself. And I think if you are after that game, get it sooner rather than later, because it's getting more and more expensive all the time. 
Yeah, it's it's kind of annoying because I can't I'm... seem to buy it new anywhere, and the few places that do sell it new, I found it in Argos. It's uh, fifty pounds. Otherwise, I don't think they're doing any more making new copies of it. I think they've made a, a run of copies of that game, and they're not making any more. Well, I mean, to be honest with you, I never expected it to come out here anyway, so I'm very yeah. surprised that it did. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna pick it up eventually. I have the the Chinese copy. I've pretty much played through the game. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't say it's spectacular. It's fun, but mm. I don't I know. I thought it looked I... pretty good. Uh, the, the cheapest I've found it in the UK is you can buy it secondhand from CEX for thirty pounds. That's the cheapest. Yeah. Uh, eBay. All the listings I've looked at seem to be ending around twenty five thirty anyway. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's not too bad, though. I mean, it was a very... I thought it would have been more of a budget game when it was released, to be honest, but it did launch at, like, the £60 mark. Yeah. I was quite surprised by that. It did. And if you want those stickers, you're going to have to find uh, the right copy there because it came with some stickers, apparently, and some download content Okay. when it was brand new. I don't think I got those stickers with my my Chinese copy. I did mm. get a nice controller skin sticker with my copy of Judge Eyes. But oh yes, so Judge Eyes, you've been able to play that, or you can hear Mike cut you out hear again. Mike. Have you been able to play that? So Judge Eyes, you've been able to play that? No, well, I, this is the thing. I bought the bloody thing, and then they announced it was coming out in English, and so I was like, well, I guess this is just going to sit on the shelf as a curiosity now. Yeah. And those original copies are still actually going up in value, so because that of that changing actor, yes, yeah. So, oh well, it's almost out in English. I'll play it soon enough. Well, I hope it's good. <laughs> yeah, you might cut out again. Oh well, I hope it's good. <laughs> Thank you. I, me too. I, I've heard nothing but good things from people who've played it in Japan. So let's see. Hey, Matt, are you fired up for Detective Pikachu? That's out soon. It is next the week. The movie we're talking the, about. Yes, not the, game the movie, not the while. 3DS game that I was very fired up for and then never bought. Yeah, yeah. I am very fired up. I think it's going to be cool. I, I hope so. I mean, I'm pretty excited. Uh, I haven't seen Avengers yet. That's the other big film that's come out recently. I've seen it twice. Wow. It's, it must be good to have seen it twice already. I saw it with work and then I saw it with my wife. And Okay, yeah. yeah. I liked it. I thought it was pretty good. Avengers, it's not been disappointing fans, has it? They've been very happy with uh, the uh, result of Endgame. Yes, I mean, I, I assume Marvel's also been very happy with the results of Endgame as well, because <laughs> from my understanding, you can't get a ticket for love nor money. No, I was going to wait until, you know, maybe the, you know, the rush dies down a little bit. I would say you should go see it sooner rather than later, because it's a film made up of very good moments. I would think it would be a shame to have some of those moments spoiled. Yeah, let's. Uh, so far, so good. I mean, well, not, as I, I, as I was stood in the cinema yesterday, I said to uh, my colleague Chris, who we went with, uh, "It's very good. You don't speak Danish because the person who just walked behind you just said the end of the film, oh, <laughs> and wow. he was just like, what? And I was just like, welcome to Denmark. People don't care.' Wow. Yeah, they were talking about a very pivotal point in the movie, and fortunately, he was trying to figure out how to work the ticket machine and Marta, my wife, was trying to help him f navigate the ticket machine in oh, Danish. Oh, this is not in um, Viola, is it? No, we went to watch it in the IMAX, actually. Uh, it's the first time I've ever been to an IMAX. Don't see what all the fuss is about. It's bigger. The parts of the film were in IMAX normally, aren't they? It's unusual for the whole film to be in IMAX. Is that 
No, I mean, like, you can shoot a film in IMAX and then it's the IMAX experience that the surround sounds better and it's a better screen and all this. Because I do know certain films like First Man, the end of the film is in IMAX, whereas the rest of the film is filmed normally. Yet when yeah. um, they go into space and go to the moon, then it switches yeah. to IMAX. You can always tell when you watch the Blu-ray later because it's in a certain ratio of widescreen. Yeah. And then it gets bigger when it moves yeah. to, to IMAX. Yeah, but uh, I didn't think much of the IMAX experience, to be honest, okay. especially as tickets were nearly 20 quid each. So Oh, they're making a mint on that one. Um, I went to see Dumbo. I, I hear it's not very good. I enjoyed it. I think it is good, actually. Okay. Uh, and I, I, I struggle to understand why people think it's bad, really. I think the zeitgeist has decided. And, uh, it's a very traditional film. It feels like a very old-fashioned film. In fact, everyone around me who was watching it, people I didn't know were walking out saying, yeah. that was such a good film, such a classic film. It was really, really good. So um, everyone I saw maybe, it with liked it. and I Maybe I, I'll give it a look then. I liked it as well. I thought it was very solid. I mean, it's very different. You have to expand on the original uh, film quite a lot. Yeah. The original film is one of the greatest animated films ever. It's one of my favourites anyway. I, just I really don't film... like Dumbo. I really don't like the original. <gasps> Yeah, it's been a long, long time since I've seen it, but I never remember. I think remember... maybe you need to reassess Dumbo because what's nice about Dumbo is it's a cartoon. You know, it's got a lot of um, cartoonisms in the uh, the characters in yeah comic, but it's also incredibly emotional. I think the two things meld together very well, and there's a lot of artistic things in Dumbo. A lot of the human characters, the scenes where they're talking, are all in silhouette. And then, yeah. of course, the pink elephant scene is like experimental animation. You know, it's like yeah. something out of Fantasia. So I think, actually, it's only an hour long. It's like it just goes for it and tells a story. It's very concise and uh, it's emotional. I think it really delivers. I will That's... give it a look then because it's been a long, long time since I've seen it. That's the original Dumbo, and I, I think what they've done with this film is they've, you know, elaborated on certain areas and they've taken the plot in a different direction, but it still has overall the same feeling. Okay. I wouldn't say it's as effective as the original, but it's does a very fine job of reinterpreting it and uh, making a live action version. Okay. There you go. Just to say a little bit about films on the podcast this week. Okay. I will. Did you like Isle of Dogs, Tom. by the way? Did you see that? The way I dance? love I Love Dogs. Yes, yeah. I, I saw it twice in the cinema. I've seen it once. I wouldn't say it's his best, but I liked it. I really enjoy aspects of it. Yeah, it's very Wes Anderson. Of... And, and the, is... I think Wes Anderson's at a point now where it's, can, dare I say, a little cliched? Yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I get ex- you. You know what to expect now yeah yeah I think Isle of Dogs doesn't do much to make you feel otherwise I don't think I think Isle of Dogs is essentially just building upon uh, the Fantastic Mr. Fox for me I think Mm. Mm. we watched Fantastic Mr. Fox a couple of weeks ago and it is cut from the very same cloth of Isle of Dogs Oh, absolutely! Yeah. I I just think he tries to expand upon some of the ideas and some of the fun he had in making Fantastic Mr. Fox and Isle of Dogs, which, to be honest, I really like that film. So I'm happy there's more of the same. 
But at the I same mean, time, if you I like hope... dogs and you like Japan, yes. Hmm. <laughs> I mean, I don't even really like dogs. I, I like Japan, admittedly, but but I, I think if you really like dogs, cool then, you know, yeah, you probably like it even more. That's true. Yeah, I was. I, I like cats, as you know, and there's a lot of evil cat people in that movie. I do not yeah. count myself as one of them. Oh well, <laughs> so it goes. No, I I hope he does something radically different with his next film, whatever it is, because I think if he just makes another. Wes Anderson film that feels like the next iteration in the Wes Anderson films. Mm. I don't think that'll be enough for me. Saying that though, I really do like Grand Budapest Hotel. So I think that was, uh, can we say maybe an apex of his? Yeah, and that's my fear is that there will be nothing better than. (laughs) Well, I mean, I, you know me, I love Rushmore, I love Royal Tenenbaums, I love Sisu as well. Darjeeling Limited. Darjeeling Limited, I can give or take. Yeah, I think a lot of people like, feel like that about Darjeeling as well. Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, let's see. Anyways, we're not talking about games. Where's so Anderson's video game? Hey, where's Anderson? Maybe that's your next. Uh, I would like a Wes Anderson point and click. I oh, think that could ooh. be pretty good. Oh my gosh, that would. Where's Anderson? Are you listening to this? Make a point and click adventure game. I think it would. Of course, really he is. Tom, everyone does. Yeah. Yes, Wes Anderson point and click. Get on it. Get Tim Schafer involved. Make the Wes Anderson point and click this world needs. Speaking of which, I bought a copy of Full Throttle earlier and it made me very happy. Oh, great. Yeah, on PlayStation or? No, I bought a physical box limited edition oh, copy of it. But you for can like get a, a remastered version on PlayStation, can't you? You might get out. You can get you a remastered version of it. You can get a remastered version of it. You can get a remastered version on PS4, can't you? I know, and I'm going to now that I have a physical box copy. I think it's probably one of the only LucasArts games I haven't actually played, but I've heard nothing but good things about. Yeah, anyway. Right, let's wrap this up, Tom Parry. Oh, oh, but it's been such a pleasure talking to you, Matthew. It's been a lot It is always a pleasure to talk to you, Tom Parry, but unfortunately, as we are now on films Uh, and not games, I could bore the people with all the PS2 games I've bought. I could bore them with all the Game Boy Color games I've bought. I could probably uh, bore our listeners with with other things uh, that I've bought, but no, let's not do that. Let's Let's save something for next time. Exactly. Until then, though, you can find us in a variety of places. You can listen to this podcast on tomattack.com. You can listen to it on blastprocess.com. You can listen to it in iTunes and Stitcher. Uh, while you're in iTunes, why not give us a cheeky rate and subscribe? Let us know you're listening and liking the podcast. You can also comment on the links that these are posted on on facebook facebook.com forward slash tom attack you can find us on twitter at tmacast me at game Boyle, tom at tom parry 11 and other than that uh we'll just bid you adieu i guess um there will be a biographic next week starting uh the may thing Ooh. so again look forward to that wink wink nudge nudge and Tom, are you going to be posting anything on Blast Processes YouTube I've account? I just remembered that there's a big event happening next weekend, and that's uh, Play Expo in Manchester, which I should, fingers crossed, be attending. That's oh. next Sunday, I think we're planning on going. Interesting. So, uh, okay. yes, it, it, depending when we podcast, uh, I, I'll either talk about that or you'll uh, see some videos on uh, the Blast Process YouTube channel. Grand, I look forward soon. to it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Okie dokie. Well, Tom Parry, uh, what do we tell him at the end of these podcasts? Can you remember after a month and a half? Oh, I, I never forget, Matthew. What is it then, Tom? It's game on, of course. Oh, yeah, of course it is. Game on. <laughs>